Uh, I was probably trying to guess how old I was. I think I was about 20 years old. I was invited to a wedding, and it was a good friend of uh, mine. Still, they still are good friends of, of ours, Jade and I's, and um, I actually uh, chose to, to say, sorry, I can't make it to your wedding. I've got something important on. And, um, yeah, pretty, pretty bad friend, eh? And looking back, that was a pretty silly decision. But at the time, um, the thing that I had on was it was a networking meeting for, between me and some other youth leaders. This is when I was a youth, youth pastor over at Hills. And, um, and I thought, you know, oh, gee, this is pretty unique um, opportunity for me to connect with some, some other leaders and to, uh, you know, it'll probably further the ministry, not just in, in my youth group, but in their youth groups as well. And I just thought there was this great kingdom purpose that should not be interrupted um, by my, my good friend's wedding. And um, gee, it was pretty dumb when I look back at that now. And, uh, you know, that was the story that came to mind um, when we get to the parable of the great banquet, and uh, you see these people giving, giving excuses to the servant as to why they couldn't come along to this great banquet. And uh, anyway, I was thinking about that story. And, and, and it turned out that the network ministry meeting was a bit of a flop. There was like me and two other guys and it was kind of awkward. And um, nothing really eventuated from it. And, and ever since that day, I just wish I went to the wedding, you know. <laughs> and so... Uh, I've learned something from that. A couple of things, and these, these are somewhat related to the, to the message today. The first thing is, um, at the time, my relationship with my friend, um, you know, probably isn't as, wasn't as strong as it is now. And um, you never really know how important some people are going to be to you um, as you go through life, even if you've only known them for a certain amount of time. So maybe that's just a little bit of a little bit of an ex- added extra for today. And then the the other part of that is um, I can't go back to that wedding. You know, it's done. There's no way I can reverse my decision. And that also applies a little bit to today's uh, parable as well that we're going to look at in Luke 14. At the end of it, those who've made excuses about why they could or couldn't come to the the um, the great banquet, Jesus says, you know. None, those who gave excuses, they weren't, they're not going to be there. They've made their choice, and you can't go back on that, you know? And so anyway, I just share that story as a way of opening up our, our thoughts and our, and our ideas and trying to bring this into something that's sort of um, present day for us a little bit. And I'm sure we've all been to weddings before, many weddings, they're great occasions. That's probably the, the, the most similar thing that I can think of when we, think, when, when we talk about a great banquet of Jesus Day. It's this idea of a, a great feast, family and friends getting together. It's kind of like, um, you know, you've got to get your RSVP in, you know, invite only, that sort of occasion was how it was, right? And so it's in Luke 14 and um, starts at verse 15 and you can open up there in your Bibles. But as you do, if you read verse 15, what you realise is that... Um, Actually, we've got to go back to the start of the chapter, right? Because it's really verse 15, the start of that parable part of the chapter really is born out of the context, which goes right back to the start of chapter 14. And so it's a Sabbath day. When you open up chapter 14, you see it's a Sabbath day. Jesus is invited to a meal at a prominent Pharisee's house. Um, 
And while he's there, there's a man with abnormal swelling, it says, in his body. And Jesus questions all of the righteous onlookers, you know, is it okay for me to heal someone? You know, this, this kind of conversation goes on. Wouldn't you save and, and, and one of your ox, um, you know, or one of your children if it, if it fell into, um, into a well, you know, on the Sabbath? Wouldn't you immediately pull it out? And, and they're kind of like don't have anything to say, and so he heals the man anyway, you know. He's kind of like, ask them their opinion and then does it anyway because he knows it's right. And then it goes on. He notices how some of the guests have chosen to sit in, um, you know, the places of honour at the table at this prominent Pharisee's house. And um, then he goes on to tell them uh, kind of like a mini parable there, um, not the one we're looking at today, but it's, it's a mini parable about a wedding feast and how, you know, some of you will know the story. The guests that chose the places of honour are asked to, um, you know, leave those seats for, for lesser ones. And the ones who, who, who sort of assumed a humble position were, were exalted. And Jesus is saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. If you're, if you're um, exalting yourself and, you, and you're prideful, you're going to be humbled. And the reverse is the case. If you're going to assume humility as the way you want to live your life, you will be exalted. That's how the kingdom of God works. It's kind of like... All of these little stories um, are kind of shaping this parable that we're getting to. And it's this idea of a reversal, right? The kingdom of God is just so different to the way society and culture sets things up for us in our lives. And so in doing this, talking about that wedding feast, he's literally confronting the people who are sitting at the table with him, at the pro prominent Pharisee's house. And he's basically saying, hey, be careful that you don't assume too much here in your life. You know, if you assume that you deserve to have the place of honour, you're very likely going to be humbled, you know. And he's, he's, he's saying these sorts of things to them. And then he looks directly at the, at the prominent Pharisee, you know, the host of the house, if you like. And he says, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours, if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So <clears throat> what Jesus is bringing up here, he's not saying that, um, you know, we shouldn't hang out with our family and friends who are like us and who, who usually repay our hospitality. That's not the point, right? We're okay to do that. But what he's doing is he's bringing up what they think the kingdom of God is like and, and he's bringing up what they think this feast in heaven is going to be like, right? In the mind of the Pharisee and the Jewish religious leaders, they had an understanding of what it was going to be like in the kingdom of heaven um, at this great banquet with God, right? They had this picture in their mind and you can... You can um, look at what was written from the Old Testament um, passages, you know, in, in Jewish history and then even the, the time between the, the, the Testaments, Old and New Testament, you know, this kind of theme developed a little bit. And as it developed, it got further away from God's original intention because the, the passage in Isaiah says um, all people are going to be there, all nations, all kinds of people, right? And it's this open sort of feast. Um, and yet the Jewish people have developed it into this something, this sort of nationalistic, um, pious feast where finally God will save us from all these others, you know? <laughs> that was kind of the thinking in their mind. And so to them, only the most righteous, well-to-do people were going to make it there. 
And even the cream, of the cream of the crop, they were going to be seeded in order, right? That was very natural for them to think this way, highest to lowest in their level of righteousness. The, the, the idea of rank and standing amongst others in society was sort of dear to their hearts, right? They held that close and they thought about that a lot. And as a way of initiating their understanding of what heaven was going to be like, they lived that way in their everyday lives, right? Which is, um, by principle, kind of like a good thing to do, <laughs> but they had, they had the picture of heaven wrong, right? And Jesus is kind of just slowly letting them down, um, you know, <laughs> and trying to rebuild in this parable what it actually is going to be like for them. <clears throat> They thought, we're only going to live amongst the people who we want to be in heaven. That's what they thought. On their day of salvation, their families, their friends, their righteous neighbours, all of the rich people who, who, they, who they hung out with, they were all part of the picture. And Jesus is trying to tell them, actually, it's the other way around. You've got the picture wrong. If they want to initiate the feast of salvation, you know, this picture that they all desired after, if they want to initiate heaven on earth now, they ought to invite the people who are unable to pay their own way. That was the poor, the, the, the crippled, the lame, the blind. None of them could pay their own way, right? None of them could earn it. And so they're saying, if, he's saying, if you really want to um, know what, the he, what heaven is going to be like, it's for people who can't earn it on their, on their own merit or anything they could do of themselves. It's for the people who know they don't deserve it. And they couldn't ever pay it for themselves. They need someone else. It needs to be an act of grace. That's what heaven is like, right? And so Jesus is saying, you ought to reverse your thinking about this, kind of like the reverse card in Uno. You know, he's, he's playing that one on them. You better go back the other way. And so after all of this dialogue, back and forth, we get to verse 15 and the start of the parable, right? And it says, one of those at the table with him heard this. Right, so he's heard this dialogue, he's heard this thing about, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven, and, he's, and he says to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. You know, it was probably one of the Pharisees' prominent friends, and you could imagine him looking at Jesus and he says, how good is it going to be? You know, <laughs> how good is this going to be, Jesus, when we get there? Won't it be great? And this is where Jesus tells him the parable. Right? He's not disagreeing with the guy. It's going to be good, but Jesus is trying to help him see that the guest list that he has and the guest list that Jesus has might be a little bit different. And in fact, he might not even be on the guest list. Right? And, he, and Jesus is graciously telling him, right? you've got to like, just, just have a think about what you actually think the kingdom of heaven is like. And we've got to remember Jesus as the Messiah his coming to earth is a display of the kingdom of heaven, right? It's an initiation of the kingdom of heaven on earth, right? And so, verse 16, Jesus replies, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready, right? So we need to understand here that there are two invitations, Right, and this is very normal practice for banquets of Jesus' day. The first is a save the date and an RSVP, let me know if you're coming, right? And, and it's purely for the purposes of catering, right? But to say, to say you were coming meant that you firmly 
firmly are accepting the invitation and you're acknowledging that upon accepting your invitation, your host will be providing you some pretty good, good food, right? They're, they're actually um, counting you in the numbers that they're going to kill animals for, right? They're counting you in the, um, in, the, in the numbers that they have to cater for, the choice food that should not go to waste, right? That's a very important thing. They're ensuring that they've butchered enough lambs or fattened calves for their guests, right? And they want it to be right. And in that day, you can't just, oh, we'll throw it in the freezer, you know what I mean? If, no one, if these people don't show up, it's okay. We'll, eat, we'll have leftovers. It's not really how it works, right? They didn't have that. And so um, you wanted to be sure you were going to feed everyone who was there and you just needed enough, right? And then on the day of the event, once all the food has been prepared, about an hour or so before you eat, your host's servants would run around the village. Hey, come now, for everything's ready. It's kind of like, come now while it's hot, guys. You know, it's like we've been working all day and it's ready. Come and enjoy, um, you know, the thing you said you were going to come to. That's what it's like. Now, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they knew about this very well, right? And when they think of those first guests invited to the feast, they're thinking Jesus is talking about them, right? Oh, yes, we'll be ready. You know, you could imagine these guys, they know what it's like. Yep. Invitation comes, cool, we'll save the date, send our RSVP, we'll be ready. We'll be sitting down on the couch, dressed in our finest, ready to come to the feast. They know this. And they're thinking about the kingdom of heaven as well. They're saying, man, we're, we're, we're just so ready for this. You know, imagine the party that it's going to be like. It's going to be so good. But what the servants find as they start knocking on the doors of the guests are excuses, right? That's how, that's how we read it in the parable. The servants' heartbeats, you know, you could imagine them starting to race. Oh, man, what am I going to say to the master? You know, what am I going to say? And Jesus' listeners, they're a bit confused as well, right? They're probably as confused as the servant in the parable. When, when Jesus starts to say the excuses are coming, they're like, hold on a second. I don't, I'm not going to be making up any excuses. You know, I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be there. You know, what do you mean there's excuses? He's not talking about us having excuses, is he? Have we been making excuses? Pretty sure we'd be ready. You know, we'd have it marked in our calendar. We know, we know when the second invitation is going to come. Verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go to see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Every other time I've read through these excuses, I've thought to myself, yeah, I've kind of been fairly sympathetic. Oh, fair enough. Busy people, busy lives. This is just how it is, you know. Just throw the food in the fridge eat it tomorrow, this kind of thing. Probably plenty more people that, that they'll kind of just go unnoticed, right? Kind of like me at my friend's wedding, probably just went unnoticed, right? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, but as we dive deeper, what we find is that these excuses are just flat out rude, right? They're actually insulting because they're not really good excuses at all. It's kind of like, uh, I know I said I would come, but I've got to go wash my cat, you know? 
It's kind of like that. Have you heard that? You, you don't wash cats. I don't know. I'm not a cat owner. Um, let's talk about the field. Nobody buys a field in Jesus' day without first inspecting it, right, to the nth degree, right? Because farming is kind of like how you're going to live and how you're going to make money. And the, the Jewish people would even keep records of who's owned it, how long they owned it for, for generations, and not just records of who owned it, but every tree, every stone wall, you know, every square foot or whatever measurement they chose to use, um, how, much how much land could be farmed, what crops they produced, how much of a harvest came out of every crop every year, and um, all of this great data was, was kept. And the actual purchase of a field was kind of like a, an ongoing process. It lasted a lengthy amount of time. And so even give this guy the benefit of the doubt, right? And, there, and there might have been, he might have been the exception to the norm and he might have actually bought a field without looking at it. Why can't it wait till tomorrow? You know, what's another day gonna, gonna uh, do in this process? Just go to the event that you said you're gonna be at, right? And so... Silly excuse, that's the first one. The second one is the oxen, right? Nobody in Jesus' day buys a team of oxen, right, without seeing if they're going to actually uh, work for you. And his excuse is, I've got to go test them out, right? It's getting late afternoon and he, and he knows this event is coming. He said he was going to be there. And now he's choosing to go and see if this oxen he's bought is going gonna, is gonna to work for him right, this team of oxen, where actually, if you're a farmer and you had a team of oxen, you were selling them, you'd set a date for all the others to come and see, all those who are interested, and you'd, and you'd have them come and watch, kind of like a test drive, right, and you could even come and have a go and see if you could, you know, command this team of oxen around and lead them yourself before you place a bid on the oxen, right, so, so what is he saying, you know, the servants just going to be red-faced, like, you're kidding. I have to tell my master that that is your excuse, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't right. None of these excuses were good. Given the benefit of the doubt, maybe he hadn't tested them. Why couldn't they wait till tomorrow? You know, it's just silly excuses. The final excuse we got was from a man just married, right? And so without asking to be excused, he just says, I cannot come right, extra rude, right, and some have said that he's appealing to the Old Testament law that says if in your first year of marriage, um, as a man, you're not to leave your home, right, but it was not to leave your home for war, right, the idea was you shouldn't be, you, you know, you, you kind of don't want him to die in his first year of marriage, that's kind of like what the law was saying, right, let's just at least give him a year and then he can go off to war and, um, it definitely didn't excuse him, even if he was sort of using that as an excuse, he didn't, it didn't excuse him from a special social event, like a great banquet that he was invited to and he accepted the invite to, right? And so he should have planned for this. And unfortunately, we can't really give him the benefit of the doubt, right? It's as crude as it sounds. Hey man, we're newlyweds. We're gonna be busy doing what newlyweds do. That's, that's how crude it is. Right? That's what he's saying. And no, it can't wait until tomorrow. That's exactly what he's saying. Pretty rude refusal right? for an event that you know you had coming that you should just be at because that's the right thing to do. You should never, you sh it was just really wrong to even talk like that right? in Jesus' day. It's not really, not really right to talk like that now, right? let alone in Jesus' day. And so 
rude refusal after another. And the idea here is that, you know, we've heard three excuses. There was probably more, you know. There was probably more. So each one of the distinguished guests is saying, my preoccupations are more important to me than our friendship. And not just our friendship, right? But there's not going to be a friendship after this. They're, they're literally just cutting themselves off socially from their friend who's invited them to this feast. And now Jesus' listeners, they're starting to sweat, right? Kind of got to remember people are listening to this story. They're all very captivated, wondering if they've missed something, right? Because not one of these guys are planning on rejecting that second invitation. Absolutely not. They're not going to do that. You know, they're probably already starting to think, who are these people? That's not going to be me. When that second invitation comes, I'll be there. Not one of them are trying to cut ties with God as their host in heaven, right? And yet Jesus is trying to tell them his coming to earth is like the second invitation, right? If you could imagine the first invitation is God securing the nation of Israel, right? The Jewish people for himself. And he's just saying, hey, I want you guys to be there. You're my chosen people. I want you there. Second invitation, Jesus has come and we're starting to see him open up that, and, and break down the, the Old Testament law and open up a new covenant to all people, right? And, and uh, you know, the, this, the story of the church goes on, the book of Acts, it opens up to the Gentiles and it's kind of just this, this sort of centrifugal force goes on with the good news, right? More and more people are impacted and it keeps spreading, right? The second invitation has arrived, Jesus is trying to tell them. And all he is hearing is excuses as to why these religious leaders can't get on board. Right? And I think it's because Jesus is showing them a vision of heaven right, that they didn't expect the Messiah was going to bring. He's showing them that um, you know, even from the beginning of his ministry, he's reversing that picture of heaven. He's putting it on its head. He's been eating with tax collectors and sinners. His disciples that he's chosen, you know, ragtag bunch of people who are just sort of, you know, they, they kind of didn't make it. He embraces people considered unclean. He shares tables with them as well, right? That would have, that, we know that shocked them. Didn't matter if they'd washed their hands or upheld the law or done all the right things. Jesus is initiating a heaven that they never imagined before, right? And all they've done is provide excuses as to why they can't get on board with his vision And Jesus is telling them that their excuses are not warranted, right? And if they are going to continue on this path, they're going to miss it altogether, right? This is what he says. The servant came back and reported reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. That makes, me, that makes me think there was more than three people making excuses, right? He's just gone out and brought in a whole heap of people who don't really deserve to be there, according to the Pharisees, and there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
So the servant is sent with some urgency to go out to the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame and to bring them into the banquet. None of these people are able to repay, repay him, right? Even if they choose to. It's a complete act of generosity, right? The act of salvation, being, being saved, having a place at the table. It's an act of generosity on behalf of God. The feast of salvation, right? The kingdom of heaven will come to those who haven't earned it. That's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. Salvation is coming to those who know they don't deserve a spot at the table, right? But, those, but the host wants them, if they're willing, to accept the invitation, right? God wants people to accept the invitation that, extended, that is extended to them. And this was different, right, to the understanding of the Pharisees of the day. And so we're going to have communion soon. And it's worth considering that when we come to the table of communion today, we're actually coming to the table that Jesus initiated when he sat with sinners, when he sat with tax collectors, when he sat with the unrighteous and the unclean, and when he, when he um, you know, embraced the leper or whoever it is. You can think of all the stories. Those who didn't, didn't have a spot, they got to come to the table that we get to come to today. When Jesus returns, this table is going to be fulfilled by him. You know? When we enter heaven, there's going to be a feast of salvation at a table. And I wonder if your guest list matches the one that Jesus has. Right? Let's not assume too much that we we know what heaven is going to look like and what this feast is going to look like. Some of us might need to heed the warning that Jesus gives to the Pharisees, you know. It might be a different picture. It might have some people on it who you never really imagined would be there. Maybe some people in your life. And the other side of that is how are we initiating that vision in our lives now? You know, what the Pharisees were trying to do in in just keeping their holy huddle it wasn't a bad idea. It wasn't a bad principle they were trying to take on board, but they had the wrong picture of heaven. You know, the picture Jesus is showing us of what heaven's going to be like in this feast and this table that he's initiated is very different. And, um, and it might be worth us just saying, God, in my life now, who are the people you want me to invite to the table? You know, in that sense, who do you want me to mix with in this life? Who are the people who are different? Who are the people I'm not thinking about because... Um, you know, I'm kind of stuck in my huddle. Don't, don't really think about heaven in that way. Who are the people who you want to, in my life, who you want to be at the table with me? And how can I initiate that salvation in their lives right now? You know, how can I, how can I inaugurate that and show others that it's okay? Who are those people in my life? Some of us might feel a little unworthy to come to the table of communion today. And um, this parable says, actually, we're all unworthy. None of us have earned it. None of us have um, been able to ever um, be good enough, righteous enough. And it's only Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, isn't it, that makes us worthy. 
It's only his blood poured out, his body broken for us that makes us worthy. Today, we get to identify as the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, those who can't pay their own way. And we receive the payment that Jesus made on the cross for us. Let's read Psalm 23 as we come to the table. The Lord is my shepherd. Actually, you know what? I'm going to invite you to come and I'm going to read this psalm as you're coming to the table. So you guys come now, grab a cup, take it back to your seat. We'll take it together. But I'm going to read Psalm 23 until we're all finished. Might read it twice. We'll see how long it takes. So come now, come and grab your cup and then we'll share in communion together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. God of grace and mercy, we thank you that you have always loved us and provided for our redemption. We thank you for your son who died to save us and for your spirit who invites us to draw near. Guide us now as we commemorate the suffering of our Lord. Help us to remember the cost of our salvation. Help us to commune with you and with each other. And so consecrate the bread and wine which are here prepared that as we partake of them, we may receive the spiritual benefits of Christ's broken body and shed blood. In his name we pray, amen. So, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat this, remembering that Jesus' body was broken for you. the same way after supper he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes take and drink this remembering that Jesus blood was shed for you that psalm again for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.